episode of Lessons of the Woods by Ten Point Whitetails. I'm your host, Dylan Porter, and again, Kyle is not with us this week because he's still doing whatever he was doing last time, but we're doing part two with the guys from Haunted Outdoors, so with me I have Seth, Eric, and Jordan, not listed in order of importance, just in the way they are on my screen. Well, actually, the way they are on my screen is two of them have their wife's name, and then Jordan's on the ball, so. <laughs> Jordan's legit. Legit. It's really me. Jordan's a techie guy. He's always, he's, 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 he's good with that stuff. My yeah. wife wouldn't let me come on unless I used her name. That's, that's reasonable. People, all the other girls out there know that he's taken. Yeah. <laughs> Made sure I did this the entire time. It's actually super glued onto his finger. For those of you on the audio version of the podcast, he was holding up his wedding ring. <laughs> and has right. been the entire time. Yes. <laughs> So where we left off, we were talking food plots and food plot practices. Now I would like to know what methods are you guys employing on your property for deer management? Because if you go through and look at some of your guys' hunts, you guys are shooting phenomenal deer. And we know it's not all food. It's not all location. Location helps. But a lot of it is uh, management. Because you guys are obviously getting these bucks past that year and a half and two year, two and a half year old mark. Well, personally, I'd say 90% of the bucks harvest in the state are two and a half and under. Mm -hmm. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would definitely agree with that. I would say 85, 90% are probably under two and a half. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, which is frustrating because uh, when you see those memes, I saw one today, we briefly talked about it, but it's like you can't tell how old a buck is when he's in a can of chili. Yeah, because if you've never seen a three and a half to four and a half year old whitetail, you don't know how big they are. A three and a half right. to four year old whitetail in Minnesota should easily be two hundred and fifty plus pounds live mm -hmm. weight. Live weight, yeah. Get a lot more meat off Absolutely. of that deer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, a lot of chili. Yeah, you want you want meat? Shoot an older deer. Yeah, and especially if you're grinding up and putting a chili. Doesn't matter how tough it is, because it is ground up into chili. <laughs> I've always, I hated that. Like when you, someone go ahead and shoot whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Okay. But don't say, Oh, this one's going to be super tender. This one's going to be good. I have shot deer in remote places where there was no food plots, you know, three and a half, four and a half year old deer. I guess I just know how to cook. Well, the, the biggest thing that people do, and I, we've had a podcast about this too. A lot of people like to take the skin off their deer and let them hang for three days. You can't do that. doesn't matter how old your deer is. It's going to taste like crap because you're letting it dry out in our late October, 60-degree weather. I'm sorry. It's not good meat anymore. Take the skin off. Yeah, we don't. Put it in the freezer. Yeah, we don't let ours hang I mean, unless no. we have to because whatever circumstances there are. But if we can get that hide off immediately because... Our main reason was it's so much easier to skin a warm deer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, one that, you know, and you're dealing with the stiff legs and whatever. And I, and I think, like, the whole hang in the deer, because I think, like, growing up, like, our grandpas and even our dads, like, that's just what they did. It was like, mm -hmm. yeah, you just yeah. Leave, the, leave the deer hang for the week, you know? If the skin's on, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But when the skin's off, I went to a friend of mine's shop, and he had the deer scun out in his shop with birds flying around 
mm-hmm. in his open door shop, it's like, well, mm. Mm, your your meat's just not going to be good. Sorry. But no. we're getting off topic. Learn how to cook, <laughs> guys. Yes, butchers hang beef for a long time, but they're doing it in a controlled environment with humidity and temperature. We're not doing that with our deer outside, so don't do it. Beef have a different, what is it, enzyme or a bacteria that actually breaks down the meat that deer venison do not have. But anyways, land management. Land management. Well, how are you guys getting your deer so big or so old? What are you guys doing? Seth, you want to start us off? That's well, your example of this, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but our farm, we've had that for almost 30 years now. And, you know, we're in what I consider one of the best areas in the state, you know, for, for trophy caliber deer, um, the genetics are there. Um, they've always been there. Um, but when we got our farm, you know, almost 30 years ago, we would never see any mature deer. You know, you would see a lot of year and a half, two and a half. And if you saw a three-year-old, that was like a giant, like, Oh my God, you know, Mm -hmm. and it went on like that. And that's just how hunting was, you know, you just shot a buck everybody went out they wanted a buck you know it didn't matter if it was a spike if it was a 10 point or whatever you just get your buck right well after i don't know maybe 10 years of that you know everybody all the neighboring landowners we didn't really know each other we knew of each other we didn't you know really have a you know good you know we didn't know each other personally real well um everybody kind of was like you know we're sick of shooting all these small bucks you know everybody had shot i mean how many six pointers do you got to shoot you know before you're satisfied right and we had a couple landowners um that went around and they talked to everybody within you know five miles of us and i was like hey we want to you know that was kind of when the qdm quality of your management was kind of coming on the scene we should try this in this area you know where we let's let's just try to set a minimum of like 130 inches, you know, just take your best guess of what you think 130 inch buck is. And then in our area, you know, 130 inch buck is typically going to be a three-year-old or older deer, you know, which a a three-year-old deer for anybody in Minnesota, I mean, I shouldn't say anybody, but 95% of the people, hunters in Minnesota, that's a trophy caliber deer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So got everybody together and said, all right, you know, let's just try this. 130 inch minimum obviously for like kids and first-time hunters there was no restrictions just shoot whatever you know and everybody has you know some of them old timers in their party that they aren't going along with this which is fine you know you knew everybody wasn't going to come in why did those guys always have mustard in their beard (laughs) but so anyways we got everybody together and kind of started our own we called it like the spruce grove whitetail management you know kind of made our own little chapter i guess of it and kind of wrote our own rules you know and there weren't really rules they were kind of just guidelines you know mm-hmm. and we actually had like a, a like a, a banquet at the end of the year where everybody get together and bring in the you know the horns and stuff from the deer they shot and everything and they'd have like a big doe contest and everything and the great thing about it not only did it create bigger deer but it got everybody to know each other and got everybody together and i mean i you know some of the people up there i mean they're some of my best friends you know that i, I you know i talk to them Honestly, about as much as I talk to these two or my wife, you know. Um, yeah, I know, right, Eric? But uh, it was funny because after the, it, it was after the first year of doing this, we had the banquet at the end of the year, and guys were like, oh, my God, you know, they're bringing in nice bucks. You know, not giants, but 130, 140-inch bucks, you know, and they're like, 
I can't believe this worked like the first year. And it's like, okay, well, what worked is you actually hunted for more than 30 minutes. You didn't shoot that first forky or six pointer that walked out. You know, you actually hunted for four or five days. Well, these bucks were always there, maybe not as many of them, but they're always there. So they actually hunted longer. Well, once people started seeing some of the results, you know, mm-hmm. which they thought were these fast action results, they really weren't, you know, they're just hunting longer. Um, then it started taking off like wildfire. And within five years, it, it was nothing for, you know, like our property, we would shoot at least one wall hanger. I mean, I think our best year we shot three, you know. So, I mean, that's just on 160 acres. And it seemed like every property around us that, you know, within two or three miles, they're shooting at least one wall hanger a year. And now it's to the point where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just spreading everywhere up there. And our little management, you know, group or whatever is bleeding into other ones that have started or have been around. And, and it's just insane where you can go out and, um, sit there and have a, you know, three and a half year old buck walk by you, you know, 130 inch buck that you normally would be like, Oh God, I got to shoot this thing. You're like, it's walking to the neighbor property and you know, Hey, they're not going to shoot that there. They're going to let it go. And then next year it's going to be a 150, 160, you know? So once I think people start seeing just a little bit of result, that's when it takes off. But it's the, the hard part is to, to get people started. You know, mm-hmm. and I think once you get, you could get everybody on the same page and say, hey, let's just try this just for a couple of years. They see any bit of a result and then it just, then it just takes off. You don't have to do anything with it. And then you can kind of create your own management goals. Like in our section, we talk to the three different landowners in our section and we say, okay, how many deer do we think that we are housing like in that, you know, 640 acres? And we decide, okay, well, let's, try to cut this many does out of the herd for this year. Well, one of the landowners, they own half the section. We own a quarter of it and the, you know, the other one owns a quarter of it. So we divide that number of does, whatever we decide we want to take up according to land size, you know, mm-hmm. and then by muzzleloader season and a muzzleloader season, if one of the landowners, they haven't filled their quota, you know, then it's a, you know, a free for all for everybody else to, to fill that, you know, and we all communicate with each other. And once the quota is filled, that's it. Mm-hmm. you know and it's it's been working great we got our buck to doe ratio i would say at, at one point it was pushing 30 to one you know does to bucks Oof. it was it, and yeah and it was during the rut it sucked because you didn't see any movement because the bucks didn't have to move well now we're you know getting those doe numbers back down and now that buck to doe ratio is getting more balanced and i mean this the past three years during the rut has just been it's it honestly like I would enjoy just going out there and watching, not even having a weapon, just watching like nice bucks run around and and be. I'll come deer. with you. You can watch me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> but I mean, watch obviously, me. not not everybody you know is has this you know is in a situation like I was you know with with the right neighbors and stuff like that. But I mean, we literally started from nothing and and build it up so i mean if we could do it anybody can do that it just gotta take that you know the one or two people just to go out knock on some doors spread the word and you know and, and it can take off the people who've listened to my our, my podcast before i pitched an idea almost ex- almost word for word what you just said you guys did and that's mm-hmm. proof it works it can be done mm-hmm. the sucky thing is it has to start at a local level and not a state level Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, for sure big time 
Yeah, because yeah. you could go 10 miles down the road and that just wouldn't work there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's, it, I think our, you know, like we were talking earlier, our management areas are too big. They need to be more localized. Know. And that's, yeah. you, you guys took uh, us so far as to dictate how many does you want harvested in your area. That's just, I mean, that's just awesome. I applaud you guys. You guys are doing it right. That's That's the way it should be done. Because it's better for the deer herd overall. Mm-hmm. So I took a, a page out of Seth's book. One thing he, he, they do that he didn't mention is they, they, you know, eliminated. You know, a lot of people see their neighbor on their hunting land as a rival or somebody they're competing against. And what mm-hmm. they do is they work together. They, they, I'd never considered this until Seth started showing me that they, they share trail camera pictures of deer mm-hmm. that they're watching grow and you know what what are we going to do with this one things like that. And it's just developing a relationship and hopefully you can find some neighbors that are like-minded and have similar goals. Sometimes you just won't have those neighbors, but mm-hmm. um, my scenario, I've got a few of them, you know, we take pictures back and forth and say, how'd you guys did? And it just kind of eases, eases that tension of, you know, oh, they're going to shoot it or they're going to get my buck. Or um, if you're all working towards the same thing, that's the fastest way. You talk about food plots and, you know, timber management, all that stuff, but the fastest way is to let deer live. Mm-hmm. that absolutely yeah. it's the fastest yeah. most in, yeah, knocking on doors and again you're not gonna that's pretty fortunate that he's got a big landmass there you'll most people have a neighbor or two that have no time for that they want their chili um <laughs> but that i mean it, just the last few years and just being more open flinging pictures back and forth even if it's the freak deer that we've never seen before and you know getting people excited about it and being on the same page just mm-hmm. it's just immediate progress yeah Oh, absolutely. And and we see it like this is the point now, like where you're saying, Jordan, you know, how we've developed this relationship with each other, where if the neighbor shoots one of these target bucks, we're all happy. Yeah, it's like it's not just their deer. It's everybody's deer because that deer lived on all of our properties. We all watched it grow. We all contributed to, you know, creating better habitat and food and making that deer want to live there. Right. So it's like it's a win in everybody's book. And I had a hunt a couple of years ago where I, I was hunting um down on our creek bottom and our neighbor was actually hunting on the opposite side we were probably three four hundred yards away from each other but it was dead quiet down there and i heard him stop and shoot a buck with his bow one of the bucks i was after too and it was just cool to be able to listen that i honestly i bet you i was just as excited as he was i mean i was fist pumping in the stand because i knew he drilled that buck and you know it was all high fives and hooting and hollering from from everybody after that you know as we were excited you know like hey you know, everything we've all worked for, you know, as, as a group, you know, happened, even though it didn't happen on our side of the fence, I was just as happy, you know, and they feel the same way, you know, for us, you know, some of the nice deer that I've shot, you know, they come over and, you know, some guys would hang their head and be like, oh, the neighbor's got that deer, but we're all, everybody's like, you know, happy for each other. And that's how it should be. Is there a sense of, well, I mean, I didn't get the target buck this year, but next year we got these three young ones that we're all watching. I might get one of them next year. Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. That's just yeah, so talk about culture. Yeah. I had a complete opposite experience. <laughs> Somehow uh, I had that we, vibe. We didn't talk about it, but that's we kind of had the vibe 80 I had. acres. Uh, we had 80 acres that was butted up to seven different properties. Oof. This was up uh, East Central Minnesota, north of Hinkley. And we we were able to harvest big deer uh we were able to our average like we would see two and a half year olds which growing up if you saw a two and a half year old it was like 
oh my god you should have seen this deer mm-hmm. and it, i remember my dad shooting a six-pointer and we were like as kids we just couldn't believe it we we cut the rack off and my brother and i played hunting in the living room and that was like our big buck you know um and then we started my dad was probably the biggest like he hated it that we were going to pass up deer (laughs) you pass one up you never know you might not see another one for the rest of the weekend Mm -hmm. which coming more true with minnesota but like so we had seven different properties that butted up to our 80 and we had one neighbor out of those seven that buck managed with us luckily he had uh, 160 acres so we had a like the biggest portion out of all the rest of these and how we, we just had to change the way we hunted we didn't do deer drives anymore that was like mm-hmm. our loved it because all right we're gonna sit till nine and <laughs> we're gonna start pushing deer we're gonna see deer and we're gonna throw some lead mm-hmm. uh, but then that when we were like all right you know mature deer we were reading like oh a lot of them are shot from 10 a.m to 2 p.m we never sat then we were pushing deer and making a campfire eating hot dogs by you know that time mm-hmm. so we just changed the way we hunted we we turned our whole the whole center of our woods we never stepped foot in the only time we stepped foot in it i had a food plot in there i'd go in there in the spring and i planted it and i had turned that into clover so that i didn't have to go in there uh every year uh and then we'd plant trees you know we were planting pine uh crab apple whatever we could but then we left it alone. We hunted the fringes of our property. And if you look at some of our older videos, I was always literally on the same plot. I had a beautiful setup. Uh, you could get in and out. I would. I hunted this one buck and I saw him three nights in a row. I got out of my stand, everything. But you just had to change the way you hunted because our neighbors, they saw it. They were shooting it. You know, they were like, need need meat in the freezer well it's like yeah you could buy a half a cow or a full cow for the money that you spent on all your hunting gear <laughs> shells and everything you just bought this year not even but, counting processing mm-hmm. right right and so we we had to change the way we hunted and it worked out very well for us um we didn't get a four and a half year old every year but every year we had an opportunity mm-hmm. and every year for me, just seeing a two and a half year old deer was like, holy crap. And we had, we had young kids that hunted mm-hmm. and they got, yep, whatever you see, you want to shoot, you go ahead. And my, my belief is always the trophy is in the eye of the holder. Mm-hmm. I have shoulder mounts of deer that these two would never even ever put on the wall. But like my kids now will be like, dad, can you tell me a story about that one? And I'm like, well, that one's actually pretty cool because I shot it standing at the foot of your uncle's deer stand as he was climbing up in it and i shot it and he was all mad but because he waited for me to take a poop <laughs> so we walked out together always, always a poop in the story there's always there's always you always i'm always gonna have one of those but yeah you wait like we're all you know how like if you ever constipated get bungled up in your hunting clothes and yeah <laughs> within minutes so we we're walking out and i'm like hey Go on without me. I nature's calling. I gotta go back in the house. And he was like, I'll wait. I mean, it was we didn't see a deer the day before because it was 90 mile an hour winds. So 
he was so mad that I shot this buck and he's like, I would have had this had I not waited for you. I would have been settled in my stand. I'm like, oh, you know, sucks to be you. Just as Eric drew up. Here that no one would have on the wall. It's a two and a half year old because this was right when we were starting it out. Our thing was we started out, it's got to have a rack. Now it can't be a small basket eight pointer because we know it's a year and a half. It had to be, you know, a two and a half year old deer. And you can see a two and a half year old versus a one and a half. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. Mm -hmm. At least those two out on the screw, those of you that need the meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have, I have a couple, two and a half, probably two or three, two and a half year olds on my wall, shoulder mounted. I've shot bigger deer that I have skull mounts of, but man, I love telling those stories because I don't know it for me. It, it's the story that goes into it, but we back onto it. We just changed the way we hunted. We knew we could not push the deer. It had to be a safe zone 365 days out of the year where, okay. And we hunted our, our fringes. We didn't hunt property lines, but we found different ways to get in and we hunted in our woods, but we were on the fringes of our center, like, uh, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sanctuary. Our sanctuary. You're on the edge yeah. of that. Yep. And we didn't yep. step foot in there unless we were tracking a deer or planting trees in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one thing too, that, uh, with our area up there, now that we kind of got the program going now each property is kind of branched off and created some more you know guidelines along with the core ones and something that we implement on our property is if you shoot a buck you need to shoulder mount it yep that's what you know yeah we so that. a lot of people that come up there and they're like well i don't know how to be able to tell the difference between 125 and 130 inch buck and it's like well we're not so much going off of you know score anymore it's if you see a buck and you say i want to i want to put that thing on the wall i want to you know pay the five six hundred dollars to have a shoulder mount mm -hmm. you know shoot it because you're obviously going to be super jacked about it right yeah and more than likely someone's not going to say see a you know six pointer and say yeah i want to put that on the wall you know most people wouldn't do that so that's what we do with some of our people that hunt that maybe aren't as experienced at aging deer on the hoof mm -hmm. you know yeah. um so that's one thing that we put in there too, because that seems like we've never, since we impl implemented that, we haven't had any mistakes because you do, you're going to have mistakes. I mean, people are going to make them and it is what it is. You can't get down on the people. I mean, it's a learning curve for everybody. Mm -hmm. And once we implemented that, it makes the people that are kind of on the fringe it makes them think a little more. Do I want to drop 500 bucks on this deer to put him on the wall? Is he big enough? Now, if you have a buck of a lifetime coming out, there ain't anybody out there in the state of Minnesota or in the country that's going to be like, yeah, I don't want to spend the money to mount that. No, you're going to drop the hammer on that thing 10 out of 10 mm -hmm. times. You know, you're going to find a way. You're going to find a way how to pay for that because, you know, so. Yep. So, so that's uh, some really interesting stuff there. And I, you guys, it's fun to hear that it works. Mm -hmm. That, that, it, that's it, it, Like I said, it happens quick. Yeah, it does. Uh, it doesn't take long. I don't know if I could apply that in my area, unfortunately, because we, the hunting land that my dad has butts up to 2,000 acres of state land. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. We get a lot of people that come up from the cities that they come up to hunt. They're there for mm -hmm. a weekend and they go home. So that kind of stuff makes it tough, but there's uh, there's got to be a way to reach out to those guys too. And I do feel like a lot of our neighbors are doing more of a property management type thing. Uh, we saw several two-year-olds this year 
you see a lot of yearlings. Not really much mm-hmm. beyond that. But this year we saw – I harvested a two-year-old, but that's only because I hadn't shot a buck with my bow for 17 years. Uh, and one of my brothers shot a buck I believe to be two. I think they both did. But we had at least three or four other two-year-olds running around. So we're hoping – a couple of them were on camera after muzzleloader. Hopefully they make it through the winter. Yep. But we got wolves, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, still, you both are probably in the top 15% of – because I, I really – I believe probably 80%, at least 85, are year-and-a-half-year-old deer shot in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you, I don't know what, two-and-a-half-year-old? You're happy? Go ahead and smoke it. Yeah. You know well, what? I wouldn't have shot it with a rifle. It actually looks like a buck. Yeah, Instead of yeah like, exactly. And you know? I went to shot it with my rifle because I tried it. We've always tried to do some sort of quality deer management yeah. on our land, but it was a bow, and it'd been forever. So well, awesome. I well, had, to, and, had to get her done. And what I'll tell people too, for a good starting point, just say, "Okay, we're just not going to shoot any spikes or four corns or just little basket racks. Mm-hmm. We're just not going to shoot those. We're going to shoot the stuff love, that's a little bigger. Love. One you're, level. You're, you're two and a half. You're three and a half. Mm-hmm. You know because." You pass all those year and a half old bucks. That's that's the largest number of bucks out there right now, right? So Absolutely. you give them the free pass, right? So now next year you have all these two-year-olds, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you're going to whack some of them off, right? But then there's going to be, you know, <laughs> Eric, get your mind out of the gutter. But anyways, yeah, yeah. So anyways, some of them are going to make it, right? Mm-hmm. So then now you got your crop of three-year-olds, right? Keep them so, happy. And every year that they live, they get smarter. Yeah. You know, they learn your tactics and, and, and they're going to get smarter. So they're going to live longer, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so you yes got to start no. somewhere. I've seen dumb yearling bucks and I've seen smart yearling bucks. So I'm not a hundred percent convinced that deer get smarter as they get older. Well, yeah, we the got smart some cases. ones live longer, but I've seen some three-year-olds cause in my dad's hunting preserve, yeah. right? I've seen some three-year-olds are like, man, you're, you're so dumb. You want to made it. <laughs> You went to made it past 18 months. There's no way. You're out here at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. What's wrong with you? Maybe not that extreme, but every deer is different. Those by their mom. Yeah. You well, get a smart go. We hate the and smart she teaches that. She teaches her fun. All right, before we step out, we're looking up here because this guy's had this stand here <laughs> for the last nine years, and we just look for him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so, fun. So- Looks and yeah. So here's a yeah. question. If you guys have a matriarch, matriarch doe that's being that way, do you take her out or leave her in the herd? If she blows you every time you're in the stand, if she snorts at you every time she's in the stand, do you, uh, do you take her out or leave her in? I would shoot her 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> I, I get so mad at them. Like I want to put an arrow right in her forehead as she's just ready to blow mm-hmm. and I, my dream of mine. But she's honestly probably the one you want to keep around. Depending That's on your scenario, there. yeah. Because she's going to keep like, her. We, we got a rule. I could definitely could agree with that, too. Yeah. If, you have, if, if you have a high predator area, it's better to keep her around. Yeah. Yep. I like Especially dumb beer, though. you coming out with fawns <laughs> and you have timberwolves around, and she walks out your plot with fawns, she carried and survived a harsh winter, whatever, and she just had, I would not shoot her. Like, mm-hmm. no, I wouldn't. Oh yeah. Well, if we had if we had lower deer populations than what we do and stuff like that, definitely I would think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, hey, people are listening, Seth. Oh, I know. But 
Kyle would be so jealous. But Kyle, I mean, but we've had we've you know we've had. I mean, that, that buck that I killed this past fall, that deer was honestly probably. I mean, he was six and a half years old when I killed him. As a five and a half year old deer, that was probably the dumbest five and a half year old deer in the entire state. Yeah, you had him on camera all, all the time and daylight all the time, and he would. It was so, and that deer made me like literally want to just quit hunting. Made me think I'm just a crappy hunter because like. And everybody up there, it, it made us all feel just stupid because we couldn't kill this deer. And he would do the dumbest things all the time. We actually thought about, we're like, maybe we should hunt this deer like he's a two-year-old, you know, because like a mature buck and it's like, he's not there. No, he's standing in the yard, you know, or something <laughs> like that. I and mean, that's how it would be. It, it was unbelievable. But then finally, I mean, and this deer, and it's not like he, he wasn't pressured. The deer was shot three times before I killed him. Well, that's what he kept coming the in the yard. Like, He's me for the love of God. Finally, had to get the boomstick out and finish him off. I mean, he took three arrows. It, it was hit with three arrows. He's just out there. I'm in so much shoot, pain. Just dumb. Shoot me already. But I, I, I mean, I and, that's, and, and that's something too. When you start, you know, letting some of these smaller bucks go, and you're not pressuring these year and a half, two and a half year old, even three and a half years old deer, mm -hmm. the bucks, anyways. They really don't fear you as much because they're not pressured, you know. Mm -hmm. So by, that by the time there. they, oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, our land up at North Hinkley was like three and a half year old. You saw it like smart, yeah. And then I look at like your video and your stories that I saw, and I'm like, yeah. It. I think you guys well, by that, not pressuring them, it's been you guys. Yeah, that 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 one ninety three that I shot that one five and a half year old deer we would we would all joke around and say that deer was afraid of the dark because we'd never have <laughs> nighttime pictures of them it'd all be during the middle of the day like he oh. didn't care but mm -hmm. that's you know goes back to they're not really harassed until they get you know around four years old you know i mean it was honestly harder to kill a two-year-old doe than a three-year-old buck way harder hmm. up there i mean it still is like that you know so which is nice. I like that. I like dumb bucks, especially when they get big, because it, it makes me look like I know what I'm doing, you know, when we get one. So yeah. it does. It makes you look like a much better hunter. It's like, man, oh, absolutely. All these deer, but... Yeah. Put me out on some public stuff. Yeah. Geez. Wow. I would just be struggle bus, man. <laughs> I don't know. I think some guys are doing management up here. I can't speak for the state land hunters or the city, the city hunters, whatever we want to call them. Uh, but there was a 170 inch buck shot within two miles of my dad's place this year. Mm -hmm. Was and we had it on camera at least once at my dad's this summer. So there. I think if everyone knew, like if you guys went around to the deer camp prior and like, okay, the guys we just talked to, you know, 500 yards down that's hunting the same section of state land, they're gonna do it. Mm -hmm. If they knew, so like Seth, everyone in his area, like it took a little bit, but they all got on board. Where we were at, people they were like, no, absolutely not. Like, get the hell out of here. It, it but depends I think... if it's the same group that was there when I was 12. Because when I was 12, we just put up a tower stand on the edge of my dad's property. And I could shoot 150 yards on the state land and cover a half mile with a rifle on my dad's land. Yep. And 12 years old, I'm in the stand 45 minutes before daybreak. Because you get out there before light comes, light comes. So the deer don't know you're there, right? Pretty Pretty easy. Sun starts coming up. We're almost to legal shooting hours. Here come those guys walking th through the woods, flashlights talking the whole way through my shooting lanes on the state land. Well, not shooting lanes, but through the opening on the state land. So frustrating. 
So I'm sitting there. One of the guys sets up 125 yards away from me. I can see him. I'm in a tower stand. Permanent. I can see him. Super frustrating. Little spike buck comes along. He jumps the fence. I don't shoot him because I'm 12 years old. I don't want to shoot a spike buck. I'm waiting for big bucks. He walks 75 yards. Guy drills him, drops him right in front of me. I'm like, okay, well, I let him go. So we go talk to those guys and they're respond and we say, hey, just don't shoot, you know, move your tree stand 75 yards so we can't see you. And this is what we're trying to do for tro trophy management. At that time, you could shoot five does per person and one buck in a, that zone. Doe takes were $2 a piece that, at that point. Uh, deer, the good old blue cornicelli days. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, this was 15, 16 years ago, so who knows? Yep, right in the heart of it. There we yeah. go. Deer management tools right there. Uh, we'd see 20, 30 deer a night, no problem, no matter where you sat. Now, it, then we went through a period after this where you saw two deer a season, but that's DNR rules, which we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Uh, but we talked to those guys that, hey, we're, we're trying to do some property management, get bigger bucks. They said, nah, we need the meat. You drove you know? six hours for a spike buck? <laughs> really? That's, that's remarkable. That's, oh. a, that's a journey. Huh. Well, yep. Six and I think one we, way, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one thing we, we talked about before um, we got this one um, is I've been, I mean, at least myself, I don't know about you guys, that I'm definitely noticing with some of these younger generations, I mean, our age and younger, um, the popularity of, you know, passing deer is it, mm -hmm. it's on the rise. You know, people are, I think they're kind of getting it because, and I think like social media, as much as I, I can't stand it sometimes, I think is actually helping this cause because people are seeing the, all these other guys shoot these big deer oh, and talk sure, about yeah. their chirping, their, their management practices. And then people like, you know, we, growing up, we all wanted to be like those people on TV, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Absolutely. if they're preaching it, you, you're going to, you're going to try it. You may not be as extreme as like, you know, the Lakoskis and stuff, but you're going to give it, you know, your, your best effort, I guess, or at least, you know, give mm -hmm. it a whirl anyway. So I think overall I, that we're, we're heading in the right direction. I think, you know, for the most part, a lot of these, you know, older generations you know our, our parents grandparents and stuff i mean back then like you know getting their deer for the meat i mean that was a big deal i mean i remember growing up like my parents said like that's what we lived off of was wild game you know mm -hmm. i mean not that you know we all of us we obviously eat all the deer and stuff that we shoot but if we don't get a deer at the end of the year we're not going to starve to death you know what yeah. i mean i had right. three brothers we ate 15 deer a year mm -hmm. during that time period we did but correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but it feels to me when guys say now, oh, we need the meat, it feels like a way to justify your expensive hobby to your wife. Yeah. Because okay? uh, yeah. if you need the meat, you're not wearing, you're not, you don't have Vortex optics. You don't have excellent rifle and, and scope. You don't have mm -hmm. the top of the line camo. You don't have expensive $2,500 tree stands or $3,000 tree stands. are not taking time stands. off from work. We're not getting yeah. paid. <laughs> yep. yep. By the time it's all said and done, venison is roughly 20 bucks a pound. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Expensive meat on, that you can get. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like my wife, you know, when I met her, she had zero hunting experience. You know, she loves it just as, you know, maybe not. I don't know if anybody loves it as much as me, but she loves doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And so... And now it's even kind of funny with like my mother, she actually is kind of getting into the deer management stuff herself. She's never hunted a day in her life, but 
she's kind of, you know, she used to give me and my dad hell all the time for spending all this money on food plots and all, you know, you name it. Why do you waste all that money just to shoot a deer? They're standing all over the place. Well, now she's kind of getting involved with, you know, because we, we name our bucks, you know, people think it's kind of weird, but, you know, it's just what we do to keep it straight, you know, when we talk mm-hmm. about different deer. So we name our bucks, you know, we we put the food plots in, and my mom actually kind of enjoys doing that now, and she you know, even has said to me, like, I, I can see why, you know, this is more than just hunting to you guys, you know, I mean, this is this is a it's a passion, you know, not, I wouldn't even call it a hobby, it's a passion, you know, it's... For sure. It's something that you, you look forward to doing all the time. And and honestly, like I get more of a kick out of just, you know, going through all the the work, you know, planning a food plot, so managing habitats, improving all that, and just getting a trail camera picture of a, a, a big buck that you get. And you're just like, that's a win, you know, or just getting a picture of them in front of one of your stands saying, I knew if I put that stand there, he'd walk by, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're able to harvest that deer, that's just a bonus. But I mean, I think I get more of it, the most of my kick out of just having the deer there and saying what I'm doing is working, and you know, just just seeing them. You know, I, like I said, if I end up tagging out on one, well, great. You know, if you guys know me. I haven't that buck I shot this year. That was I hadn't shot a buck previous five seasons in Minnesota before that. Could I have shot lots of bucks? Yeah, but that wasn't top priority for me. You know, it was the right buck and, and stuff like that, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I said it before my favorite, by far my favorite thing with hunting deer is food plotting. Yeah. My mm-hmm. favorite thing to do with deer hunting is literally their food plotting. It, I don't know. I love testing. Huh? It's therapeutic. Oh my God. It is totally. Yep. Have a bad and day at like, work. Go like, sit on a four wheeler or a tractor and yeah. And it's the manipulation, too, of the deer, like Seth said. Like, okay, if I do this here, plant here, edge feather there, they're going to come out right there. Well, And then you're yeah. there, and it's working. You just watch your the plan that you've had for the last four months. All of a sudden, oh, my God, it's working. Oh, yeah. Here he is. Well, and I, then and I, completely choke and shoot over him, but you know. <laughs> well, I think Jordan, like I think honestly, the the main reason why you are so hooked on deer hunting now is because you came from a waterfall background. Because that's the same way. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you're you you know setting the spread and and trying to make the the birds land on the X. I mean, that's your yeah. goal. The only frustration with that really made it deer hunting click, especially for me, is you can do a lot of prep with uh, waterfall work and you know you're you got it all pegged out and then they migrate overnight they're gone yeah where deer they they don't do that so you can actually <laughs> put the work in year over year over year yeah. the stacking benefits and building and you know a plan actually unfolding as opposed to something you have no control over so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah just you know building your idea building your plan it's just uh reaping what you sow is just so cool so cool yeah and it's worth every penny but don't say you need the meat to justify your hobby <laughs> No. They, oh my my favorite this. one is my favorite one's when they shoot a shoot a spike you know it's a swamp buck was never going to amount to oh, anything or no swamp big fix. body big body, big body. yeah uh, just you're gonna have your bucks gonna have a bigger body compared to your doe yeah but that was a big doe too yeah big, big doe. doe no big one ever doe. shoots a, like regular sized doe i do doe. or a nice yeah. doe Shot a normal yeah, that's size. Nice, that's it. Nice. It's either nice or big. It's not just yeah. a doe. I do I, shoot a lot of does. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the ones I shoot are just does. Yeah, I, so, I got <laughs> I gotta tell the story real quick. Uh, my uh, in our 
our family, we have a, a saying about Big Doe because my uncle, who could he, you could put him inside the barn, shut doors with no windows, he could unload his gun and not hit a wall. <laughs> and the one year we all have like, one of those in our group. Yeah, one year, I don't know by the grace of God, one of his bullets found this doe and he got it. And we heard him shoot. All right, we got to go see if Uncle Mark got it. We know he didn't. We come up over the hill, and he's, like, dancing in the middle of this fire lane, just pumped up. And all of a sudden, he sees us. We're up on the hill, and he goes, and we're like, oh, my God. Because this was before buck management. He's going, and we're like, holy crap. Like, (laughs) Uncle Mark got a buck. And he goes, big doe. <laughs> the international for big doe. I'm gonna do honestly all our all my doe videos from now on. Is, we big every doe. time someone shoots a doe in our party, it's always this. Oh, big doe. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the ears. It's not. It's not times. It's the ears. Did he explain? I'm surprised you didn't know that. Come on. I mean, I was so excited, I was peeing myself a little bit. You know, I was probably eleven or twelve. Like, oh my god, the buck. <laughs> big doe. And I'm like, idiot. And it was uh, seventy pounds. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I but thought I shot. Doe management really is doe. important, though. It yeah. is. I thought I shot a really big doe one time, and she dressed out 145 pounds. I'm like, oh, well, that that's it's all right. That's a good, that's a nice doe. That's a nice doe. Yeah, but I was used to seeing bucks that are way bigger than that. It was kind of disappointing right. when I weighed it. Because I'm like, oh, it should have been like 180. Come on. <laughs> Just as big as the bucks that we had, had shot that year body-wise. I'm like, why is a doe 40 pounds lighter? Uh, well, go on the go on any uh, Facebook group, and there's guys shooting 180, 200-pound does every year. Are oh, they yeah. doing live yeah. weight or dressed? That's the question. Well, yeah, doing, the, uh, the problem yeah. is they're not weighing them at all. That's oh, yeah. Or, or they got weights and deer. <laughs> yeah. That fishing co- competition. Yeah. No, that is one thing, though, that we we started doing, though. We weigh every deer we shoot on our farm. Just cool. out of curiosity, just to see. I mean, one of our neighbors, he kind of turned me on to it because he's, like, obsessed with it. It's mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, you shoot a deer and you don't have it out of the woods yet. Dude, what it away? What it away? What it away? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I'm back in the cabin yet. It puts you know, it into but... perspective for you, too. It does. Like you do it enough. Mm-hmm. Mature doe, 120, 100, yeah. 120 pounds, really. Yeah. A mature doe, a big doe, 140, 160 is insane. Yeah. I think I the mean, biggest one we've ever shot off our farm was, I think, was right at 160. And that was a, a, a giant size doe. Yeah. I got that was my biggest, was one, 160. And I, I was like, I was chunky. Jokes. She was alone when I shot her. And I couldn't realize why I was struggling getting her on the four wheeler. I was like, what the heck? And then I we put the scale on. I was like, oh, I'm not a wimp. Well, I am, but what up, Jordan? But it puts it into perspective because you're always like, oh, this buck's 200 pounds. No, it's a 150-pound, two-and-a-half-year-old. Respectable deer. Good deer. Good for you. But, you know, our three-and-a-half-year-olds up, up north were anywhere from 185, 190. 220 was our, our four-and-a-half and older up there mm-hmm. like we got to know our deer herd yeah the biggest we've had dressed granted in the farm or in you know what? it's different uh but we had gotten a hold of some really big body bloodlines we had one that we swear weighs 420 pounds live weight 
we never did weigh him dressed in his prime. At 13, he weighed 280 dressed in September. Wow. Uh, but we had a... That's a lot of chili. Yeah. Uh, and some sloppy joes. And that, was in, that wasn't in his prime. So we figure November at five years old, 400 plus, probably not too far off. Uh, but we had one that was three years old, dressed out at, what was it? He was 360 pounds live weight, and he dressed out at 323. Wow. And you guys you guys are, that's all genetics. Genetics have a lot to do with it. Because mm-hmm. uh, you, you can buy, as a deer farmer, we can buy Texas bloodlines that are, you know, well, semen off of Texas bucks that are going to be 120 pounds mature. You know, yeah. but you get up into Canada, you see 450 pound deer all the time. And I think the state record for Minnesota back in like the twenties, I may have to Google this again. It's like 520 pounds. Live, live weight, live weight yeah. for a whitetail. They get big, man. They get bigger than people think. So and see, that's what, like you were talking about the, the antlers before you blew my mind with that. Like how you said, you know, elk and everything have a, antlers a third the size of the animal and it makes sense they have a lot more potential than we give them i even give Mm -hmm. them credit yes yeah i I don't think i'm crazy i think it makes sense too bad there's no real way to prove it but also from the fact that when we're breeding the way we do as a deer farmer we're not adding material everybody's like oh well you're splicing the genes together and you're doing this that and the other thing no it's all material that's there it's all within the animal we didn't add anything you know, if you want to, if you want to create a basketball team, and if you could ethically breed humans, which you can't, you know, but you wouldn't pick somebody from Norway that's five two, like my right. mom's family. You'd pick somebody from, you know, a tribe in Africa that's six foot seven, seven foot two. If you, you know, yep. if you want to have a basketball team, right? Yeah, absolutely. So they're all. Two- so you guys are cloning people. Did you clone Eminem? <laughs> No, I read that. Did you really? Eminem's been cloned. Oh, they all. A have. lot of people have been cloned. Uh, I go down some pretty dark rabbit holes when I've been drinking. <laughs> There's one that I've heard, and we're gonna go off topic here for just a second, but I can't remember her name now. There's one singer that everybody supposedly she got sick, and now it's just somebody else lip syncing all her songs. It's not actually her. Adele. No, before that, older Beyonce? than Adele. Nope. Celine Dion. Oh, J-Lo. Nope. I can't remember her name and it's killing me. Down there. It's, it's down. killing me. Jessica Simpson. No, it's Ashley Simpson. No. What's she Britney Spears. Like? I don't Aguilera. know. I can't remember her name. But anyway, Eric back Pinkers. on track. I on a roll there. Yeah. I don't even know that many female singers. Jeepers. Um, I do. <laughs> he writes some letters every day. So, should we... <laughs> Should we take the next 15 minutes or so and talk about what management practices we'd like to see the state implement? Because the management practices, minutes? well, unless you guys want to do a third podcast tonight or we do another one in a couple of weeks or, you know, Eric's old. I'll try not to go on a rant. It's just tough, but I love what you guys are doing from a management perspective. It's working. You guys are getting big deer, but like I said, it sucks that it has to start at a local level. Why can't the state do something? Because it's so, political. Yeah. Uh, well, can it? I'll I'll play the I'll play the game of. I won't go on a rant. I'll make it quick. I would like to see the state allow deer numbers to be 
like Wisconsin's deer numbers, what they allow for. If you Southern Wisconsin. Jump, no, all of Wisconsin, the way they allow it. Like you went right across the river from our hunting land in East Central and we were considered, I would talk with our big game manager in the area and well, he would say, well, we're at 20 deer per square mile. Well, that's, that's not a lot of deer, you know? And he's like, well, we're, we're, uh, you know, putting in for roads and lakes and all that. So it condenses them down. I'm like, oh my God, like, really? You go across the river and they're at 40 deer per square mile and you couldn't get a doe tag hmm. or you only got one doe tag in that area of Wisconsin. And I'm like, now you're giving us five, seven tags, whatever to lower our population. And we have 20, you're saying 20, but there's not a chance in hell we are at 20. Now, if you go back in the late mid to late nineties and everyone's like, Oh, he's bringing up the deer herd. Yeah, I am. Because back then we, we had a lot of deer. You would go out, you would see deer. It was fun hunting, but then everyone thought, well, they needed to be lower. They need to be, why? We were getting along just fine with mm -hmm. those deer numbers. And then, they're, oh, well, we got, we have a lot of people and there's collisions. You ever been to Southern Wisconsin? Those anywhere, deer numbers, anywhere in Wisconsin. 140 deer per square mile in some of those zones down there by Madison. They're just as populated. 94 is insane. There's a lot of dead deer on the road. Absolutely. But you go down there, people don't, they won't shoot a small buck because they see 40 deer or whatever. And you don't want to talk about habitat. Minnesota's habitat, second to none. We have harsher winters. Pretty sure God made deer able to survive a winter. I can do a whole podcast on that. It's incredible. Like, they're they're able to survive it. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not our winters. You go to Missouri, Southern Iowa, our, our habitat tenfold, 80% of a deer's uh, diet is woody browse, right? Mm -hmm. There's woods all over Minnesota, but we don't got no deer because, well, we got to keep the numbers low mm -hmm. for what reason, you know, like I, well, and it's, it's, it's weird with that because, you know, like a lot of non-hunters, they love to see deer, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why, where's the outrage with them saying, why are you shooting all these deer? You don't hear nothing, right? Let's team up with PETA on this one. I would, in a heartbeat, <laughs> I would. Yeah. I personally don't think that there's anywhere, in, I mean, I would like to see it state, you know, maybe not statewide, but the areas where you can shoot, a, you know, a pile of deer. I don't think you, I think you should be able to, to shoot two deer, you know, your buck and a doe. And get you rid know. of cross tagging. Oh, well, I don't have a, well, yeah, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, me personally, I don't have a problem with cross tagging antlerless deer, but the problem is then if I'm against cross tagging antler deer, you know, it may be kind of hypocritical. So I would be okay with not cross tagging anything. I would be okay. I don't like cross tagging. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I have I, a love hate relationship with it. I understand it and it can be fun. Yep, but if your area can't support the deer herd, that's just screwed up anyway. Yeah, we can bring it back after we have the numbers. That's why I'm against, I said it before, APRs, I'm against them. Mm -hmm. And I think we would never need them if we had deer numbers. If you mm -hmm. went out and saw deer, you wouldn't shoot the first thing because you're not going right. out there going, man, I hope I see a deer. You're going out there going, 
man, I hope I see the right deer. Mm-hmm. Or if I want meat in the freezer, I can shoot one of the 20 does that are going to walk by me. Which brings and me to this thought process, like we talked about in pre-show a little bit. North Dakota, Montana, they have tag limits for how many tags they'll mm-hmm. sell in a specific area. And those tags change every year, depending on the area. Okay, with Minnesota having probably, I think, either the highest, if not one of the top five DNR budgets in the United States. We've done a podcast yep. about that. The high, We have a crazy high budget. You're telling me they can't hire people to be like, oh, in this area, we should have 500 does harvested and, 20, and 200 bucks. That's all that should be harvested in this area. You're telling me we can't do that? Why, why can't we do that? Because if we did that, we could maintain the population numbers where the state wants them and just not sell so many tags. Did you know in Minnesota, the deer population currently sits right around a million throughout the whole state, which is actually up from like 10 years ago. Uh, I think 2016, it's that 15 area. We were sitting about 600,000. It's 14, but it's like the... Yeah, it was like 600,000 or less. They mm-hmm. sold 800,000 tags in Minnesota this year for a million deer. And they plan on only 30% being 30% of people being successful. That's their plan. So this is just a huge money grab by the Minnesota DNR. Yes. Let's just sell as many tags as possible. Or let's do this. Let's limit how many tags we sell, provide a better hunting experience, and raise the price of those tags. If you want to hunt in Minnesota yeah. from North Dakota, it's 110 bucks. And it's over the counter. If I want to go hunt in North Dakota, which I haven't, but you guys have hunted out of state a little bit, what does it cost? It's like two thirty. I think it's like two sixty now. Yeah. North Dakota bow tag is like two hundred and eighty dollars. Is it two eighty now? Yeah, it yeah, goes up a little bit. Five plus five dollars for something or another. It was two eighty ish. Yep. Why is yeah. it all day to go so screwed up? Well, and honestly, like I feel like Jordan, out of all of us, your area is probably seeing the biggest like feast of famine in the last couple oh, yeah. of years with numbers and yeah. i can't keep a head straight on what their plan is and what they're trying to do to accomplish it i've got a lot of emails and i talk with our what do they call the deer planner for our zone area yeah. whatever he's actually he gives me he responds to me and puts up with me so i give him credit for that but our our area well once upon a time it, our area our previous area is no longer merged with another one but in consecutive years we went from uh, doe lottery to managed to three year zone and then right into early antlerless like all in consecutive years so it went from trying to get a doe tag to now you could at that point the first year we could shoot up to eight in what four or five years mm-hmm. um and i went to i mean try to give them credit because they're supposed to be the smart people right but uh our we went to a deer planning meeting in alexandria and one of the biggest things from the hunter's perspective, now there's hunters there, there's farmers there, there's a bunch of different people there at these meetings that chime in and give their two cents. A lot of people wanted smaller areas, you know, county by county or smaller by smaller, you know, sample sizes. Mm-hmm. The first thing that they did, they got rid of 276, went to 277, which is, I don't know, how far is it from Starbuck, Minnesota to Dassel, Minnesota? It's probably one of the, it's actually, I think it's probably one of the yeah. biggest zones or areas. 120 in- miles? In the southern half of the state. 120 miles, you've got the same rules and the same, you know, quotas or whatever. And then on, I'm on the very far west side of it. So that first year that we could shoot eight total, if you took advantage of the early antlers and the three deer during the regular season, eight total, um, two miles from where I hunt majority of my time, cross the ditch, you had to do a lottery for a doe tag. 
So two miles away, you can maybe shoot one. You go in the other ditch, you can shoot eight. And I mean, there's got to be a line of transition somewhere, but you think there'd be a little bit more of a buffer from going from the maximum to the minimum. Um, yeah, and then getting into, we could talk all night about, you know, their their goal, and I'm going off their goal, is to lower the deer population in that area by having that many tags, right? But then they got that firearm season sitting that first weekend in November when the young bucks are their most susceptible to getting shot. They're the dumbest deer on the planet for what seven days straight and mm -hmm. he's come walking by back and forth and they have no prayer and shooting a buck doesn't lower the population so it's just kind of a head scratch as to why they how they have it set up the way they do to try accomplish what they say they're trying to do if that makes sense it just makes no sense you know if well, you were trying yeah if you're trying to lower the population you do earn a buck buck lottery because you want does gone right mm -hmm. But you have well, that gun season sitting there, right? Right, and then yeah, it's just well. And I don't get why people. It's such a big deal to have the gun season, it, you know, when it is. Because how many times now do you hear people complaining about? Oh, it's sixty degrees during yeah. firearm <laughs> over. It's it's it like always t-shirt weather. It's like, well, let's push it back two weeks. Well, we can't do that. It's, it's not. It's got to be the first. Yeah, it's always been this way. It's a tradition. It hasn't. it hasn't in the seventies. It was pushed back two weeks. Yep, not tradition. And I call BS on anybody who says it's too dang cold to hunt in two weeks later weather because guess what? 95% of hunters who own their own land have at least one, if not five, heated tree stands. And uh -huh. Wisconsin is two weeks later than us. And Minnesota as a state, do we want to say, Wisconsin, you guys are so much tougher than us? We just can't handle <laughs> That's a great 65 argument. degrees. I've seen mosquitoes in rifle season. Push it back because yeah. what happens too, and this pisses me off, People in the Twin Cities come up north to hunt. Everybody does it. You can't hardly drive on Highway 10 during that time of week. Don't even try. Forget it. They wow. shoot a deer. Yeah. It's 65 to 85 degrees out, and they drive it home on the tailgate of their pickup six hours, throw the whole thing away. And, and the rack's propped up over the box, you know, that little six-point rack. Yep. You know, you they throw, throw the whole out. deer away because it's too dang hot. Let's push it back mm -hmm. two weeks. And I've said this before on the And podcast. shorten it. That will allow the bucks to fight for the right to breed the does and will overall help our herd with the least amount of change. That is the smallest mm -hmm. change we can make to help the white-tailed deer herd in Minnesota. But it's never well, going to happen. And it should, other, be, it should be nine days statewide. I mean, why is yeah. like why is the northern zone one, this is the lowest deer numbers in the state, why are we hunting them another week? Why? Because it's not where our property was. It should be the opposite. right? That's where our property was. And third weekend... Yeah, we had everyone from Zone Two and every like they. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're not well, limited right anymore. There. Yep. Well, yeah. People, then they go up to. We had we had a we had a, a buddy that would come up third weekend because well his hunting's done he's gonna come on up. Mm -hmm. So it, I mean we did it too. I'm we're guilty of it. People have the audacity. But the one thing that people, to the one thing people don't season. understand if you pushed oh. it back and there's that much less pressure during peak breeding, all of your the majority of your fawns are all going to drop at one time. And what happens when there's an influx of them? More survive. Right. Mm -hmm. When they're dropped out and you have a second rut and a third rut, now they're spread out. Well, the bear, the wolf, the coyote, the bobcat, the cougar, now they're spread out. It's easier. But you get a massive drop at one time. So nature's supposed survive. to work. That and deer are so reliant on weather. A newborn fawn, coming from a guy who's bottle-fed personally well over 100, they are the easiest thing on the planet to kill. 
They are. Oh, yeah. They will die at the drop of a hat. If a fawn is born in a mud puddle that's two inches deep, it will drown. It will lay down and drown. Okay? They're stupid. If it's born on the edge of a black field in July because its mom was bred late and it lays down, it will die a heat stroke. It'll lay there until it cooks. Fawns are stupid. Whitetail fawns are meant to be born in a specific two-week window in Minnesota where we have a harsh climate. This is not true for Arkansas, for Missouri. If I understand Arkansas correctly, they have fawns born year-round. It's weird down there. They have different mm-hmm. They have different stuff oh, going on. You can go if, county to county and it's different. Yeah. Up here, yeah. if we have a fawn born, typically May 20th is the earliest we can keep a fawn alive. And that's early. We like them to be born like May 25th to like June 5th. It's the best 10-day window. If we have a fawn born May 13th, it's probably not going to survive. We get one 35-degree rain, that fawn's dead. Sorry, forget it, done. If it's born too late, yeah. now they go into harsh Minnesota winters at 35 pounds. Mm-hmm. Have, you ever guys seen, have you guys ever seen a fawn with a short tail or short ears? So, no, yeah. but... Throws off. So you're talking about late fawns like that. Jordan knows where I'm going to go with this. Yes. Weirdest thing ever. We we had a fawn, and I ain't kidding you. This thing was born beginning of October. Okay, it held its oh spots. My. It's held its spots all through the winter, and I got pictures of it in April with spots still. It, it I had it come by me, and I thought there was a little fox following the doe through the. I'm like, what is it? It's a little spotted fawn, and I'm like, I, and there, I'm like, there is no. We were, it, we actually honestly talked amongst all our neighbors like. You, you know, shoot just it. Yeah. shoot it just because I, we don't want it to think that because there's no way it's going to make it. We don't want it to suffer. Mm-hmm. This damn thing made it. It made it. You know? So in it, I'm guessing at that time your predator numbers were not that high because he shouldn't have made it. And also you guys <laughs> no, have uh, adequate food. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. And honestly, like what kept that deer alive is, I mean, a lot of us up there, we feed after yep. the season closes, we'll feed all winter. And that, that did, I mean, that deer lived in our, in our bird feeder and our deer feeder right in the yard. And yep. that's what kept it alive. But deer, deer will freeze to death before they starve to death. Yeah, You told me that one time. Yep. And they're that... rumen. They'll, if they don't have food in their stomach, they freeze to death. Deer do not starve to death in the winter. They freeze. That ruminating that's action, big. chewing their cud keeps them warm. And I mean, that's how horses get by. That's how cows get by all winter. I mean, my cow's out 40 below. What are they doing? They're chewing their cud. They're eating hay. They're just chewing, chewing, chewing. So the deer do. They're doing the exact same thing because there's no other way to keep themselves warm when they have those spindly little legs. They got to keep chewing. Go look at a deer bed and see how much much they melt down into the ice. Deer, you got to think they just got to be miserable. But that's why Woody Browse actually works well for deer. Because it. it's so much fiber, it's so much heat. Mm-hmm. Protein helps too, though. Adding it. Well, and and uh, Dylan, where you where you tried to talk about the the youth hunt, you know, people mm-hmm. are so against that. And there's a lot of hunters that I know that I I think are really good hunters, and their and their strategies behind deer management and stuff are really smart. But they cannot stand that youth season, and and I'm like, you know, and. I, I see where they're coming from on some of the issues of that, but but realistically, we got to look at it this way. Um, I would make a few changes with that. I'm all for the youth hunt, but I also don't think a 17-year-old kid right. needs to be running right. around with a rifle and his buddies doing deer drives. In I'd like to personally see the youth season be for ages like 12 and under and have no minimum on the bottom like Wisconsin has. You know what I mean? Because 
I, at five years old, could I have went out and shot a deer with a rifle? Absolutely. We all could have, right? Some of but us did. Minnesota, oh, I know. <laughs> but in Minnesota, legally, we, we can't. You know, we're not given mm-hmm. that chance, right? And I, I feel like if we can instill and have a, have a kid, a young kid, you know, have success at a young age, there's a better chance that he's going to grow up and want to be a hunter mm-hmm. and contribute. Because, I mean, are you seeing our deer hunting numbers decline every year? I mean, there's less and less kids getting into it. And so the youth hunt is good for that, but mm-hmm. I think we should structure more on the younger kids. You know yes. what I mean? Because if you're 12 and over, I mean, we all did it. Oh, that awesome. froze again. You'll come back around. Just yeah, wait right? Me. Was I breaking up? Oh, yeah. But when, when we were all 12 years old, right, we all went out with everybody with the hunting party and did it. We're all still here, right? Yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of kids these days are a little softer than we were, right? I mean, it goes back to... We all got heated blinds. I I have a lot of them. I personally, I love sitting in them now. But you know what? I mean, it it can be done. And I think, you know, we can get some of these kids out at a younger age is is huge. With the turkey hunting, there's no minimum age. And Eric's been able to get his kids on turkeys. What are holding shoes for some? What is he, five? Five. Five. Five years old. I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to. And if you listen to to the first episode with these guys, you guys all have your kids active in hunting. Well, not Seth yet because yours aren't old enough, but mm-hmm. you got your kids active in hunting outdoors. And that's two of two of the three favorite hunting stories had to do with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hunter recruitment's at an all-time low, and it has been for years. So the, Minis- the state of Minnesota needs to do something to encourage that. The youth season helps, but they're doing it wrong. I believe there can be made changes. I agree. I think it's a good thing to have. But there's got to be better ways to do it. And personally, I think if you're sitting and you see deer, whether you shoot them or not, you're having more fun than if you're not seeing Absolutely. deer. Absolutely. No kidding. So why don't we shoot some dang wolves, raise the population of whitetail a little bit, Amen. and have fun and get kids involved in it? Because if I go sit, what, if you I make 12 it fun. years old, if I sat and I'm freezing my butt off and I don't see any deer, I don't want to go again. But if I can sit no. there and be like, wow, there's 12 deer out in the food plot and I can just stare at them for hours. Oh, that's such, that's a much better experience. Like mm-hmm. fishing. You don't take your kid out walleye fishing the first time. You take them for sunfish off the dock. Mm-hmm. They want action. Yep. Anything where they're going to catch something right away. So yep. we have no control over the state of Minnesota, but we do have control over our own circles. So Absolutely. if you're listening to this, Take a kid hunting if you know a kid. I mean, with their parents' permission, everything first. But you know, don't yeah. just abduct them. Take a willing child Garrett. hunting. <laughs> Let me use your tag here. Yeah, yeah. Not junior. for that purpose. Don't do it wrong. Right. I will no, say, my, my two nieces and my nephew—they all shot their first deer with me. Like I, I would. I would much rather take a, even a, a newbie, a 50 year old guy or girl that's never hunted before. Mm-hmm. I, I love, love doing that. Like just seeing that excitement and like teaching them. I love it. Yeah. Oh, guiding hunts has been one of my favorite experiences of my life. And I've guided a lot of hunts. Yeah. It's in a hunting preserve, but just the excitement of seeing yeah. somebody get that excited. It's all, it's more fun than hunting. Mm-hmm. So do yourself a favor, take somebody else hunting. Absolutely. For sure. And the only way you said it, the only way we're going to change anything, I don't think we're going to change anything with 
the heads of the DNR or how they want to do what they want to do. It's got to be groups, your local area, your guys, because they can give you all the tags in the world. But if everyone's in agreement, we don't have the numbers, don't shoot the does or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, they can't make you shoot them. Now, granted, they can go and bait them and shoot them from a helicopter and <laughs> crap like that. But that's another podcast yet. Uh, but we are running at about an hour and 10 minutes, uh, which is almost up there with the longest. I think this might be the longest podcast we've done. So if you've made it this we far, we appreciate it. <laughs> I think we're going to have you guys back. I think Kyle would love to pick your brains too. So uh, we're going to log off for the night here. Finishing note, take somebody hunting. Come on, just do it. It's easy. No, it's not easy, but it's worth it. So worth it. Every every second you spend with somebody in a tree stand is worth it. Uh so you can find the guys here at Haunted Outdoors on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. You can find Lessons of the Woods by Ten Point Whitetails on at Ten Point Whitetails on Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, uh, or you can find Lessons of the Woods on your favorite podcast apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, all that good stuff. Uh, new episodes drop every Friday at seven PM something happens and we don't get to record uh but yeah find us where you found us and we'll see you guys next time